We are finishing up our series called The Good Shepherd. We're on part five. This series is all about making sure that we are trusting in and following Jesus. One of the things we need to get right in this life is making sure that we're trusting the right sources. You know, you trust the wrong sources, you're going to be led into some crazy stuff. You trust the wrong media, you trust the wrong internet stuff, you're going to be led into something goofy. We need to be making sure that we're following Christ, our good shepherd. And we want to also make sure that we don't accidentally follow something other than Christ when we think we're following Christ. And this can be things like church culture, Christian culture, celebrity pastors, different theological ideas. You know, we don't want to be following those things. We want to be following Jesus. And so that's what we've been covering through this series. The first three weeks went through uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 9 and 10. Chapter 9, there's all this religious dysfunction, and Jesus deals with that in John chapter 10, where he says he is the good shepherd. And John 10, 10 is a great verse in the midst of that section of Scripture. And it's very famous verse, says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is speaking. He is the good shepherd. He says, I have come that they may have life, have it to the full. We know that's Jesus. Who's the thief? Every service, even at a pastor's meeting, I asked them, okay, who's the thief in John 10, 10? They all said, it's the devil. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, now the devil does steal, kill, and destroy. So understand how you think that. But the context here is very, very clear. It's the Pharisees. It's bad religion. It's dysfunctional religion that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the context. Now the devil steals and kills and destroys too. We know that. So that's why people think that. It's not exactly wrong. But don't miss the fact that John 10.10 is talking about bad religion religion, dysfunctional religion that hurts people. And what Jesus is doing is he's making sure that you understand the difference between bad religion and God. The thief, the dysfunction of human religion versus the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God the Father, of the Holy Spirit of God. These beautiful, beautiful things versus bad religion all under one banner. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy under, you know, religion or Christianity, whatever. Bad religion is under that banner. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, under that same banner. We need to make sure we separate those out and that we follow the good shepherd and not the thief who steals, kills, and destroys. We talked about all that. Then we had Resurrection Sunday service. And the week after that, last week, we talked about, well, now what? You know, Jesus rises from the dead and then he ascends into heaven and the apostles are kind of looking up in the sky like, ah, (laughs) and like, well, now what? Well, last week we talked about now what? Now the apostles step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the apostles take the baton and they run with it. So the apostles now step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. But then the generation of the apostles passes. And so then now what? What about for us today? Now what? That's what we talk about in part five of the Good Shepherd. So the generation of the apostles passes. So now what? Here's the short answer to that. Now you and I step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it was Peter and John 
and James, you know, they're stepping up. The Apostle Paul, they're stepping up in New Testament times, but they hand the baton on as well. So we need to now step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how this works. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. 18 through 20, the Great Commission. So this happens. Jesus appears to his disciples. This is between the empty tomb and the ascension in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus floats up into the sky. Jesus appears to his disciples at various times during that period of about 40 days. And it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is giving them a commission. He's handing the baton to them. He's saying, you go and make disciples of all nations, not just some nations, all nations. And there was two major things they're supposed to do. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then there's the promise, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. They are to initiate people in, but through baptism, and they are to teach them the ways of God. And one of the ways of God is to go and make disciples, <laughs> baptize them and teach them the ways of God. So you can see how this perpetuates. The one hands the baton to the next, who hands the baton to the next. This happens from generation to generation. And it also happens from area to area during the same generation. So as the gospel goes out in one generation, it also goes forward from generation to generation by this handing of the baton. We see the same concept in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. So this is now quite a bit later than Jesus talking to his disciples. This is the Apostle Paul, now old, who was not even a believer when Jesus gave the Great Commission to the church. Paul gets saved, becomes an apostle, does his work. Now he's teaching young Timothy to come up. And this is something he says to young Timothy in uh, chapter 2, verse 2 of 2 Timothy. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So we see the same concept. So what I have said in your presence to other people, now you say to those who can be trusted, and then they can keep saying it to others. So we're going to let the gospel grow through sharing the gospel person to person. So here's the next question. How has that gone? So over the last 2,000 years, as the people who are following Christ hand the baton to others, to the next generation, to those who are going to go in other places, you know, follow Christ, handing the baton, how's that gone? I would say very mixed results. We've had times of incredible loss in the body of Christ where the things of God have faded off. And then we have times of revival where there's 
the great awakening and, and people coming to know and understand and follow the ways of God. And then there's a falling off. And we see it's very similar to the descriptions in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel, who would be walking with God under a good king, and then they would turn away from God, and they're kind of going this way and that. And uh, we see that happening now in the last 2,000 years after Christ. It's going up and down and different things like that. And why is that? Well, it's the whole thing here of following the good shepherd is because once religion gets well organized or even disorganized, there's a problem with organized religion. And that is that it tends to worship itself rather than God. And this is true from, you know, even a local church perspective to massive denominational perspective. So like, Whenever the church is about the church and trying to get people to come to church and, you know, it's not about getting people to follow Jesus and advance the kingdom of God anymore. Uh, it's about the church and that can be a, a little home church or it can be a great big church or whatever. But when church is about the church, it's not about Jesus and it's not about the kingdom of God anymore. And instead of leading people into following Christ, they're leading people into following maybe the hireling or the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we see that ebb and flow over time as people fall away from God and maybe then religion gets all messed up and then people come back to Christ, come back to following the Lord, and then it just kind of goes back and forth. And that is, of course, incredibly damaging to the culture, especially people who don't understand the difference between religion and God. You know, there are people who just cannot in their minds make that distinction. And so when the thief comes and steals, kills, and destroys, there is no picture of God in their minds. It's only this, and that does incredible damage. And so we certainly don't want to be that, and we also don't want people following the thief and getting all messed up with that. So we need to make sure that we're following Christ. Of course, this has gone awry all throughout history continues to this day. It will continue till Jesus comes. It's not a surprise. It's all over the scriptures. Jesus talked about it all the time. You know, John 10, 10, a great example. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Bad religion will steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus is here that we can have life and life to the full. But how's it supposed to go? I believe John 10, 16 is a good picture of how it's supposed to go. So John 10, 16 says, and again, this is Jesus speaking, as the good shepherd, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So there is going to be one flock, one shepherd. This is how it's supposed to work. There's the sheep pen that's already there. Jesus calls out his own and they hear his voice, listen to his voice and do what he says. But there's another sheep pen. Jesus is going to call those out of that. They're going to come together into one flock with one shepherd. That's the picture. It's a beautiful picture, and it is expanded on tremendously in Ephesians chapter 2. So Paul the apostle explains this concept in much, much greater detail in Ephesians chapter 2. 
and I was trying to find some highlight verses in Ephesians chapter 2, and I just couldn't do it. Uh, Such a great chapter, so profound. I must read the whole chapter. And so if you love the Word of God, you are rejoicing like, oh, he's finally going to read the whole chapter of Ephesians chapter 2 because it's so beautiful. If you're not so into the Scriptures, maybe this will be a stretching experience for you. But let's go through the whole chapter. And there's basically three points. Point number one is how we get called out, you know, how the good shepherd calls and then we come and follow him. And then point number two is that other sheep pen that are brought in together to make the one flock with the one shepherd. And then point number three is just, what does that look like? What does that become? So here we go. Verses one through 10 are the first part. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we have this group that is called out, that is called by the good shepherd and they hear his voice and they follow. Instead of following the ways of the flesh, the sinful nature, the ways of the world. Instead, they follow the ways of God. And these people come and they're part of the flock of Jesus. But Jesus was also talking about this other sheep pen and bringing them together. What's that talking about? That's what we get verses 11 through 18. Because Ephesus was not a Jewish city. And so the believers in Ephesus were mostly Gentile believers. And so Paul is writing to them and here's something he says. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Now that sounds pretty bad without hope and without God in the world, you know, excluded from citizenship. These are people in different sheep pen, not the pen that Jesus is there with. You know, he's describing this close pen, but there's something else. These are these people are far away uh, without hope and without God in the world. What's worse than being without hope and without God? in the world without hope and without God in the church, just being subject to bad religion, the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. Instead, we got to find our good shepherd, follow the good shepherd so we can be led into life and life more abundantly. So there you go. Verse 13 fixes it. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So we have the Jews and the Gentiles. We have the children of Abraham, the chosen people, the people of the promise, and then those on the outside. And God's plan from creation, from before Abraham, was to bring all people together under Christ. And so that's the great gospel message, is that it's not just those with the religious pedigree, those with the right last name, the right genealogy, those who are raised in the church, but it is also those on the outside, those who didn't belong, now are brought in, they're brought together, and no longer under the Mosaic law, but under the cross of Christ. So we now come together to be one flock under the good shepherd, not again under the Mosaic law or under some form of law in the new covenant, but under the way of the spirit under the cross. So we both have access to the father by the one spirit. And then what does that look like? So verses 19 through 22 really give the beautiful picture of it. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we see the Gentiles, those with no religious background, no you know, spiritual pedigree, and those who are the religious insiders now come together, not underneath the laws of the religious insiders, but underneath the cross of Christ, being led by the Spirit of God, brought into unity. And then that is pictured as Christ being the cornerstone with the apostles and prophets as the foundation in this analogy, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So basically for us, that's the, the scripture, the apostles teaching, the Old Testament prophets, you know, the apostles and the prophets is what's been compiled in the Bible. So we have Jesus, the chief cornerstone, everything is measured off of Christ because he is, you know, the foundation, if we're going to do it in a, a different analogy, but then also on the foundation of the teachings of the scriptures, the apostles and the prophets, and then each one of us, all of the believers coming together to create this building, this holy temple where God lives by his spirit. Just incredible. And this is likening the New Testament believers, the group of believers, to Solomon's temple in the Old Testament. Solomon's temple was majestic and beautiful and incredible and ornate and a wonder in the ancient world. And people came from, you know, other continents to come and see Solomon's temple. And it was a huge undertaking and just inspired awe in people. And that's how the New Testament believers are supposed to be with Jesus as the chief cornerstone on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now all the believers, the pedigreed believers and those from the outside that have been welcomed in working together to be a temple of 
almighty God where he dwells by his spirit. It's an incredible, incredible picture. Now, maybe that doesn't put something in your head. So let me give a, uh, just a simple example. This is a very small example, kind of a microcosm example. But let's look at what does this supposed to look like now? Because we're all supposed to be working together, one flock under the one shepherd. So I'm going to use as an example our Vacation Bible School here at Good Hope Church. So this summer, we're going to be doing our mega camp, which is our Vacation Bible School, which is just like Bible camp at church. And I said, okay, we need 70 volunteers if we're going to do our Vacation Bible School because we want to do it right. And we don't want to hang our volunteers out to dry. And if we have 70 people, then it's going to be a great experience for the kids who come to Vacation Bible School, and it's going to be a great experience for the volunteers who serve at Vacation Bible School. Because I don't know if you're one of the church servant types, but if we had 10 leaders, then it's going to be a horrible experience for those 10. It'll probably be a bad experience for the kids who come to the Vacation Bible School. But if you have plenty of people to serve, plenty of people. So you got security, you got people leading the small groups, you got people doing the big group meetings, uh, specializing in the different fun areas and all these different things. And you got extra people to pull on in case there's an extra need over here. And it all can work beautifully as everybody does their part. And it's an incredibly fun thing and an incredible blessing to everybody that participates, both the volunteers and the kids who are attending. And then the vacation Bible school turns out to be great. And it's all kinds of fun. That's the picture each one of us serving together with Christ as the chief cornerstone with the apostles and prophets teaching the word of God and all of us coming together to serve God together and it is beautiful and wonderful and if we can do that on a macro scale you know all across the world all the believers of Jesus working together obeying Christ walking in his ways standing on the truths of the scriptures uh, walking by the spirit of God that's when things get really good so vacation bible school how does that work that works by each one of us that are called to be part of that to step up empowered by the Holy Spirit and this continuation of following Christ it works by you and I stepping up empowered by the Holy Spirit so this next phase today it's about you and I stepping up empowered by the Holy Spirit so I got two more points I want to make before we're done here next point how can you tell if a shepherd is a good shepherd or a bad shepherd how can you tell We're supposed to be following the good shepherd. Well, you can tell if a shepherd is good by the quality of the sheep. You know what I mean? So like if we go back to the vacation Bible school example, if the volunteers are doing a good job and they're being polite and encouraging the kids and there's nothing bad going on behind the scenes, you know, then they're doing a good job. And whoever's leading that group is doing a good job of leading that group. And the good shepherd, you can tell if if a shepherd is good by the condition of the sheep. And so if the sheep are in terrible condition, then that's not a good shepherd. You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if the sheep have got all kinds of stealing, killing, and destroying happening to them, then that's not a good shepherd. That's the thief. But the good shepherd comes to give life and life to the full. Jesus brings that. But here's the problem. There are all kinds of Christians who just don't follow the good shepherd. They don't do what Jesus taught. They don't actually live it out. And here's the deal. You will never know if Jesus is the good shepherd if you don't actually follow him. So like having in your head that Jesus is the son of God, but you ignore everything he says in the scriptures, well, you're not following the good shepherd. So don't judge God when you are refusing to follow his way. 
You know, don't say, ah, you know, I, I put my faith in Jesus, but it didn't work. If you didn't actually do what Jesus said, you know, if you didn't actually follow him, do what he taught. If you're not putting into practice the teachings of Jesus, then you have no right to judge God. So you can tell a good shepherd by the condition of the sheep, but then if the sheep don't follow the shepherd's voice, it all gets messed up. So if the shepherd says, look, over here, green pastures, and you're like, ain't going over there, I'm going over here. And then you end up in a bunch of thorns and thistles, and then you're like, stupid shepherd, that doesn't make any sense. You have to do what he says. If he says, hey, come on into the sheep pen, it's getting late, you know, the wolves are going to come out, come and uh, be safe in here. You're like, I ain't going in there, I'm going out into the woods. And then you get attacked by the wolves, and you say, oh, stupid shepherd, that makes no sense. We actually have to do what Jesus says to find out that he's the good shepherd. Let me give you an example from the Gospel of John chapter 8. So we just turn back a couple pages from John 10. So John 8, 31 and 32 says something quite amazing. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Maybe you've heard that one before. The truth will set you free. That's a Jesus quote, you know, the truth will set you free. But there's a step before it. It's three things in succession. If you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus teaches certain things. If we don't do those, we won't know the truth and the truth won't set us free because the truths of God are known by following God. So for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies. Now, this is an extreme example. That's why it's a helpful one with this. Uh, So many people will say, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. They're my enemies. I'm going to hate my enemies. Yet Jesus, the good shepherd, says, no, 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 no. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so we either then have a choice to follow the good shepherd or we can reject the good shepherd and do our own thing. Now, if we follow the good shepherd, It says, if you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you've ever tried to love your enemies, you'll find some things out. First thing you'll find out is it's not very easy. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to get to that heart place. But we are endeavoring to love your enemies. When you start actually making some progress after how much time it takes, then you start to realize that the bitterness in your heart goes away. The unforgiveness and the impact that it has begins to dissipate. And now you can actually pray for your enemies and it doesn't bring you into this place of darkness where you're all mad and angry and carried away by those dark emotions. Now you're able to be free from that, see things more from God's perspective, and then there's freedom in that. You don't have to be all upset about what your enemy is doing to you. You can pray for them and you can move on with your life and it doesn't have the same impact. There is a freedom that comes with that. So you hold to the teachings, then you learn the truth and the truth sets you free. So that's the process. So we actually have to follow Christ in order to get to that freedom. We have to do what the scriptures tell us. We have to follow the teachings of Christ. So you and I can step up by reading the word of God and putting it into practice. So that's an important point. Now, here's the last scripture section we're going to read in this series from the gospel of John chapter 14. So so in John chapter 14, here's something Jesus says, verses 15 through 21. 
He's talking to his disciples. They'll be the apostles at the Last Supper. And he says this, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So we see, you know, kind of sandwiched verses 15 and then 20 and 21. Jesus says, keep my commands. That John 8 idea. If you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. If you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then what does he say? He says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. So Jesus is going to be leaving. And he says, I'm going to give you another advocate. Another place he says, it's better for you that I leave because then I can send the spirit. And this means that once Jesus leaves, he ascends to the father. Then the Holy Spirit comes down. Now we can be led by the spirit as well as by the word we have the opportunity to connect with the Holy Spirit of God and get guidance through the Holy Spirit, another advocate, another counselor, the spirit of truth. Now, the world isn't going to accept him because they don't see him or know him, but we can know the Holy Spirit of God, something that, you know, people in the world, it's very confusing to them, you know, like, but for us, we experience the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff to say about that. Talked about that some last week. But we grab hold of the Spirit because here's the deal. We're going to need some help with this. And uh, just reading and studying isn't enough. We need the heart of God. We need the Spirit of God to guide us, the the advocate, to help us, be with us forever. We're going to have some trouble figuring this stuff out. Love your enemy. That's not just an intellectual pursuit. It's a spiritual pursuit. And we need to grab hold of it through the Spirit. You know, following Jesus, it's an interesting thing. It's simple and complicated. It's easy and extremely difficult. You know, it's really quite the thing. And we need the Spirit of God helping us through this. What he says here, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How does Jesus come to his people now through the still small voice of the Spirit? Jesus can appear to you in a vision, that sort of thing, but that's pretty rare. doesn't happen very often. Day by day, walking with God is walking in step with the Spirit of God. Hearing the still, small voice, walking in step with the Spirit and in accordance with the truths of the Word of God. So we want to listen to our Good Shepherd's voice and follow. And we do that by reading the Word of God. And then we want to open ourselves up to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We do that by opening our hearts to the Spirit of God. So have you ever heard me say something like, Thank you, Lord, that you guide us by your Holy Spirit and that you guide us by your Holy Word. (laughs) I say that almost every service when I'm praying uh, at the beginning. I'll say that almost every single time. And this is the reason why. Because if we want to follow our Good Shepherd today, if you and I are going to step up and follow the Good Shepherd, 
then we need to be following the word of God and we need to be following in step with the spirit of God. We are guided by the holy word of God and we are guided by the Holy Spirit of God. So let's follow the good shepherd. Let's not be orphans left here to figure it out on our own when we can read the word and get connected with it. If you don't know much about the Bible, start in the book of Matthew, work your way through the New Testament. That'll help you out. Read the word, endeavor to understand what it's saying and put it into practice. And then let's be led by the spirit of God. This is how it's supposed to work. We now follow the good shepherd by putting into practice the teachings of the scriptures and then walking in step with the Holy Spirit of God. So now is the time for you and I to step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. And let's pray that we can each do our part well, honoring the Lord and showing his goodness to this world. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, the day of salvation where we can be brought into your fold by your grace. When we add faith to that, we put our faith in you and trust in you and you forgive us of our sins. Bring us into your family. Teach us your ways and show us how to walk with you. Lord, help us to grab hold of those two major ways that we follow you. How we step up is by getting to know your word and putting it into practice. Lord, learning your teachings, learning your ways, and so much of that is the is following in step with the Holy Spirit. That's how the law and the prophets are fulfilled. We're not stuck in the law. Now we serve in the way of the Spirit. And so help us to not be stuck in rules and uh, missing the point and all of that stuff where we just get hung up on little details. But Lord, let us walk in step with your Spirit, knowing your heart, knowing your love, knowing your ways, and being able to live that out. Lord, it's so simple and so complicated. It's so easy and so difficult. Lord, guide us by your spirit, guide us by your word, and help us each one to step up so we can be part of that glorious temple that shows your goodness, your glory, your power, your might, and where you dwell by your spirit. Help us to be part of that. In Jesus' name. Amen.